Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now, this is the story of Solomon, who has dedicated the temple. Pastor read to us in the morning service that God would not let his daddy David build the temple. And there were reasons for that. And God told David, you prepare for it, and I'm going to let your son build me a temple. Solomon has built that temple when we get to this text. And there is a prayer meeting happening here, and God is showing up in answer to the prayers, and here we find it in chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon had made an end of praying, this is at the dedication of the temple, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and I just love this line right here at the end of verse 1, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Do you all believe in the glory of the Lord? We talk about it. We sing about it. But did you know that the glory of the Lord is visible? It's something visible. God does want us to live our Christianity in such a way that there's visible evidence in our life that Jesus is real. Everybody needs visible evidence in their life that Jesus is real. And that's why we pray. When you pray and God answers our prayers, isn't that visible evidence of the glory of the Lord? When a church goes to God and prays about things and God hears our prayers and shows up and answers our prayers, there's a visible manifestation of the glory of God. And so God shows up here and they saw it. And verse 2 says, the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praise the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Do you all believe that's true? The Lord is good. I'd say amen to that, wouldn't you? We could be here all night, couldn't we? We just about the Lord is good. Tell me how the Lord has been good to you, and we could be here all night. The Lord is good. Nothing happening here that I haven't experienced. I've seen the power of God and the glory of God, and here he just reminds us of what this is all about, his goodness and his mercy that endures forever. And in verse 4, the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Here's a whole nation, and they get together, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests waited on their offices, the Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord because his mercy endureth forever when David praised by their ministry. And the priests sounded trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. Moreover, Solomon hallowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, and there's where he offered his offerings, the Bible tells us. At the verse 8, at the same time, Solomon kept a feast for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great congregation, from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly, for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days, and they feasted seven days. And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed unto David and to Solomon and to Israel his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house he prosperously effected. And now our text, verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I've heard thy prayer. I've chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. How many of y'all know that verse, do you? It's what we call a revival verse. It's unique to the nation of Israel through Solomon by the Holy Spirit. This is a This is a promise given to the nation of Israel that when judgment would come and they weren't what they ought to be, that because they're the people of God, if they would turn to God and they would humble themselves and they would pray and they would seek his face, that he would hear from heaven and forgive their sins and, he says, heal their land. Everything in this verse is repeated to us as as New Testament saints, everything in this verse is repeated except the last line, that he will heal our land. In other words, what he says here is he can send revival, and he wants to send revival, and he believes in revival, and God's people can have revival. And you know that's still true, don't you? You all believe that, don't you? God's people can have revival. We have, we have I, um, I would venture to say, I don't know if America would have revival, the USA. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but God's people can have revival. Do you all believe that? And I love revival. I'd love to talk about revival. Do you have a favorite revival story? Do you have a favorite revival story? If you study history, there's a ton of them. I love to read about the Welsh revival of, uh, of 1904 and 1905. If you do a little study on that, you'd find out that in one year, they had 100,000 converts in the nation of Wales, and it spilled over into Britain, and history says that a million people were converted in Britain because of the Welsh revival. That's quite a a meeting, wouldn't you say? And the singing was amazing. I read a report this afternoon just reviewing the Welsh revival that the records that were kept of all the arrest reports for drunkenness and, and all of that, that it was decreased 50% following the Welsh Revival because God changed a lot of lives in the Welsh Revival. Isn't that encouraging to read about? And if you're a student of American history, you know about the Great Awakenings, don't you? The First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. We know words like camp meeting. We Baptists will talk about camp meetings. Did you know the reason we have what that, that term, camp meeting, is because those are revival terms. Our forefathers in this land had revival services, camp meetings and revival meetings and brush harbor meetings. And why they do that? Because they believe that God heard and answered prayers and that if they'd seek the Lord, they could see revival in their lives, in their homes, in their churches. And you know, brothers and sisters, it works. Did y'all know that? God is pro-revival. Can I say it like that? And I want to be pro-revival as well, don't you? I want to believe that God is still on the move. You know he is, don't you? Y'all know that, don't you? God's not done working. You know that, don't you? God's not done working. Don't, don't you buy this idea. Oh my goodness. These are the last days and the Lord's just not moving like he used to. Well, well, who, who came up with that idea? I, I, we may be living in the last days. And if we are, I just want y'all to know I'm okay with that because I'm going home. Y'all with me on that? So I'm okay with that. But here's the fact. Don't, don't let, don't let the world, the flesh and the devil discourage you. Your God is still God. The word of God is still true. The spirit of God still works. Souls can still be saved and you can still have revival. Do you believe that tonight? So there's historical revival. You can read a lot about that. I I like to think about personal revival. My daddy, my daddy got saved. My dad got saved in a revival. That's something personal to me. I was in kindergarten. I wish y'all could have been there. The evangelist that preached that night, it was a mountain revival. Y'all know what I mean by that. And just mountain, bunch of country folks. And the evangelist preached and, 
and, and he, he really preached two things that night. Number one, he said, you need to get saved through Jesus. That was his first point. You need to get saved through Jesus. He died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised. Through the day. That was point number one, and he preached all over that. His second point was, you ought to throw away your TV. That was his second point. And uh, so he preached, you ought, to get, you ought to get saved. You ought to get rid of your TV. I remember, I remember that. I was in kindergarten. I remember that sermon. And my dad interrupted that service. It was a revival meeting. It's a Monday night. My dad interrupted the service. He was about halfway back on the middle aisle, and the preacher was preaching, you need to get saved, need to get saved. Jesus died for your sins. He's the only way to heaven. There's only one God. There's only one mediator. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through. He just preached it up one side and down the other. And my dad stood up in the middle of that service and said, uh, say, excuse me, say, excuse me. And, and he interrupted the service. He said, I want to get saved. Can I get saved right now? Y'all know you're not supposed to do that, don't you? My dad apparently didn't know that. I want to get saved right now, he said. And, the, you know, can I get saved right now? And the evangelist said, no, wait for the invitation. And he didn't say that. I just made that part up. But uh, he uh, said to my dad, come on, there was a mourner's bench. I mean, y'all know that term, do you? They had a communion table, and then they had a bench in front of it. The country folks called that, the, that's where you go to pray. That's where you go to pray. That's where you go to get saved. That's where you go to get right with God. He said to my dad, come on, come on. My dad came forward. My dad got saved that night. I'll never forget that. That's a, re that's a personal revival scene. I just love revivals. I love to talk about them. One of our favorite revivals in our ministry was in a little town called Somerville, Alabama. And uh, what a great revival that was. Just a tiny little place. And uh, they almost canceled it because, uh, and I, I even don't, this part I don't even like in the story. They almost canceled the revival because the pastor had, uh, had to be removed from the ministry about two months before our revival. And he had had a moral failure and he had let the devil win a victory in his life. And the deacon, the head deacon, called me, the chairman of the deacon board, called me. And he said, now, Brother Young, he said, here's what's happened. And I was heartbroken because I knew this brother. And I, we should never rejoice when, when somebody falls into sin. And we should always take that seriously and examine our own lives. Is that right? And, and say, Lord, am I right with you? And, and so he shared the story, and I was heartbroken for him. He said, now, Dave, I don't know what to do, Brother Dave. He said, uh, I, uh, I know pastor's not here, and we don't have a pastor, but I kind of feel like we need revival right now. He said, if we worked at it, and we prayed about it, and kept, would you still come? And I said, well, I, I reckon I will if you'll pray about it and prepare. Boy, I'm glad we went. That was a great meeting, wasn't it, Bethlehem? We had a great meeting there. We made some of our greatest friends in Alabama in that church. And boy, the Lord showed up. There was a guy in that church, and he had just gotten out of prison. And he came every service, and he wasn't a believer, didn't know God, and he fell under Holy Ghost conviction one night, and he wouldn't respond. He literally, I've heard this story, but I'd never seen it before. He literally stood in that service holding onto the back of the pew in front of him and would not get saved, and man, God was working on him. And I, I said to that, I, I said to the crowd to close that service, I said, now look, right here behind the baptistry, right here behind the baptistry, if you go through that wall, my RV's behind, that's where I'm living this week, right here behind the building, if you went through that wall, you come around the building, behind the baptistry here, my, I, that's where I'm living this week. And I said, you're going to go home and you can't sleep, and you're going to be under Holy Ghost conviction, and you know you should have gotten saved tonight. Get out of bed and come over here and knock on my RV door, and you can get saved in the parking lot. I think I meant that. I think I did. I said it. And I don't know if I thought anybody would take me up on it or not. But early the next morning, early the next morning, we were just starting to rouse a little bit. Early the next morning, somebody about tore the side of that RV off. I mean, pounded on it with great excitement. And, uh, and you know, I opened the door, and there he was. He hadn't gotten saved the night before. But he's crying. And I mean, he's got snot going everywhere. 
And the guy was just crying up a storm. He said, I want to get saved. Okay, I've been up all night. He said, can I get saved? He actually got up, went to work, and, and he was such a mess. The boss said, what's wrong with you? He said, I should have gotten saved last night at the revival. And I did. And the boss said, well, get out of here and take care of that and then come back to work. And, uh, and sure enough, I led him to Christ. You know what? He's still in that church, still serving the Lord. Came to hear me preach in a revival in Alabama not long ago. God just is on the move. God is on the move. And that's a person. I just love revival. Wonder what God would do in our life in revival if we had just really led him. Wonder what God could do this week. Wonder who would get saved if we just really got on fire for God and began to see the Lord work in our lives. Wonder what prayers we could get answered. Well, wonder what changes we could see made in our life that would change our lives. See, it's what revival's all about. It's a normal thing for God's people to get a little cold-hearted, right? It's a normal thing. You've had that happen, haven't you? You know the old song, don't you? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How many of y'all know that song, don't you? That's very normal, isn't it? And it's so easy to get a cold heart. And after a while, we just fall into the motion of going through the motions. And we can come to church and sit in our seats. And our hearts are just, we're fine, but we're not on fire. Maybe like the church at Laodicea. They were quite a church. They were pretty impressive. In fact, what they said about themselves was, hey, we are rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. said to my son the other day, I said, you need anything? He said, no, Dad, I'm like the church at Laodicea. I have need of nothing. And I'm not sure that's exactly how he should have used it because that was not a good thing. And, uh, but I know what he meant. He was just being a little silly there. Jesus said, no, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You say you're rich, increased with goods, and have no needs. And Jesus said, what I want you to know is that you are poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked. Now, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Well, apparently it's possible to think all is well and yet not be where you ought to be spiritually. You all agree with that? It's possible to think I'm fine and yet not really be fine if you're talking spiritually. What's the point? God wants us to have revival. And all of us, all of us, all of us ought to be interested in revival. And here are three reasons why. First of all, because revival is simple. I call it the simplicity of revival. You know about revival, don't you? It's an awakening. It's an animation. It's a new life. It's a returning to the life of Christ in me. That's what a revival is. It's really not even a series of services, though we set aside a series of services so we can get with God and let God work in our heart. Revival's new life, and I'm just not what ought to be, but I need new life. We need that periodically, don't we? It's an animation. How many of y'all know that word, do you? When we think animation, whose name do we normally associate with animation? Well, that'd be Walt Disney, wouldn't it? Animation is a Walt Disney thing. Y'all know about that, don't you? And yet that's also a revival word, animation. Like, like how many of y'all know who Mickey Mouse is? Raise your hand good and high. If you know who Mickey Mouse you know that's not, not a person, don't you? Y'all know Mickey Mouse doesn't exist, don't you? That's just, that's just a creation of something that's not real that he animated. Well, revival's different than that because we are real and God is real. But when God animates us, we become alive with the power of God and the presence of God and the joy of the Lord. And we get our prayers answered and souls get saved and our homes are what they ought to be and our marriages are better. This is a great word. It's simple. Revival is simple. I, I love that. It's an awakening. It's an animation. It's new light. I, I love the, the new Testament idea that it's a return to the life of Christ in me. All right, how many of y'all are saved tonight? All right, how many of y'all are saved? Raise your hand if you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. Did you know when you got saved, Jesus, Jesus moved in? Did you all know that? Uh, the Bible says he's our life. You ever read that? The, the Bible, in Colossians, the Bible says when Christ, who is our life, Jesus is our life. But how many of y'all find at times your life, you don't live like Jesus is your life? Has that ever happened to you? 
Jesus is our life, and yet we're down, and we're frustrated, and we're irritated, and we're bothered, and we're depressed, and we're discouraged, and we're hard to get along with, and we're short-tempered and sharp-tongued. Come on, anybody here ever get like that? Anybody, anybody here get like that? See, then life of Jesus is not in you. And yet Galatians 2.20 says this, you know this, I am crucified with Christ. I, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I'm dead, but I live. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, he keeps saying, I'm dead, I'm dead, but, but I, I live. And, and yet not I, I'm not the one living, but Christ liveth in me. I mean, y'all know that verse. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he trying to tell us there? This is the simplicity of revival. I'm nothing and I can't do anything on my own and I can't win anybody to Jesus and I can't get my own prayers answered on how to be the husband I ought to be, but Jesus is real and he lives in my life, and if I let him rekindle the fires of his life inside of me, well, these hands become his hands, and these feet become his feet, and this voice becomes his voice. Literally, the life of Jesus is living in me. That is a shouting ground truth. Did y'all know about that truth? That's Christianity when Jesus is alive in you. So see, revival's a simple matter. Think about the simplicity of it. That's why you ought to be interested in revival. But look in this text and think about the possibility of revival. The point of, of, of 2 Corinthians 7 verse 14 is me and, me and God. This is the point of it, me and God or you and God or, or I could say us and God. It's about me and you and God. Look at that in verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Isn't that an incredible thought? It's like Jesus, it's like, it's like God is saying this. God said, you know what? If you will, I will. That's what God is saying here. If you will, I will. Now, I'm not minimizing God's sovereignty and God's holiness and God's power and I'm not even being irreverent tonight. I'm saying that on the authority of this verse. God says, on the, I can say on the authority of this verse that God's view of revival is, if you, well, if you will, I will. It will, if you will, I will. You know, you know we, we, we'll say stuff like that, won't we? If you will, I will. That's one way boys get in big trouble, isn't it? How many of y'all, y'all raising boys, are you? I read the other day that boys are easier to raise. They're just harder to keep alive. And isn't that right? Because boys will say things like this. Well, you know, if you will, I will. If you will, I will. If you'll jump off that roof, I will too. And that's just how boys are, aren't they? That's just how they are. And, and sometimes we can get trouble doing that. If you will, I will. You can get in big trouble doing that, can't you? As at a youth rally Friday night, I preached a revival up in West Virginia. We went through Thursday night, and then I stayed over and preached a big youth rally on, for them on Friday night, and they had these games in the gym. They went over to the gym, and they had these big bubbles. You get inside this big bubble thing, and, and the teenagers get in there, and then they had competitions, and basically the idea was who's king of the hill, and somebody had to push everybody else out of the circle, and boy, those teenagers went nuts. I'm telling you, they got in there, and they hit each other and rolled each other, and several kids landed on their heads, hopefully knocked some sense into themselves, and uh, man, it was, uh, it was, I thought somebody's going to go to the emergency room before this is over, and, and some of the teens wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't do it. I'm not getting in there. I, you know how, I'm not doing, I'm not playing, not me, and so I thought, I'm going go over there and help them. So I said to these teenagers, I was like, now come on, you got to get in there. Come on, it'll be fun. Get in there, get in there, get in there. And this one teenager had the audacity to say, well, if you will, I will. And I said, now hold on a minute. I'm 53 years old and I have nothing to prove. I got a house and some cars and a wife and five kids. I'm okay. I don't need to get in there, but you're a teenager. Get in there. And she wouldn't do it because she said, well, you won't, I won't. 
Now, aren't you glad that God is not like that? God is willing. God is willing to send revival. Now, you say, Brother Young, I, I wish I were closer to God. I got good news for you tonight. If you will, he will. In that, in that shouting ground. You know, Lord, I wish I had more of your love and joy and peace in my life. I got good news for you tonight. This verse is introducing us to the possibility of revival. If you will, he will. I, I love that New Testament version of it where the Bible says in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, and while well, he might draw nigh to you. No, no. He says, you draw nigh to God, what will he do? He'll draw nigh to you. You draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. He will. If you will, he will. You ought to believe that tonight. You want revival? If you want it, he wants it. If you'll do it, he'll do it. If you'll seek him, he'll come to you. I, I just love that idea. There's the possibility of revival. So, so there's a simplicity of revival. It's just new life. God, I need you. God, we need you. Help us, Lord. We need. That's the simplicity. And, and here's the possibility. God says, if, if, then, if, then. If you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. If you will, then if you'll do this, I'll do this. God promises that. Uh, Beth and I have a good old uh, friends, uh, some great friends down in Alabama. And uh, it's a good old boy down there, my buddy. And, and he, I preached one Sunday morning in their church in Galatians 4.8. I've probably told you all this. And in, or, I'm sorry, in James 4.8, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And when I got I preached, I don't know, 40 minutes, and when I got done, he got up. What he said? He got up and said, well, now what Brother Young is trying to say is this. <laughs> it's like, well, this ought to be good. I mean, after 40 minutes, he's going to sum it up. And here's Brother Young. Here's what Brother Young is trying to say. And the Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. And he said, you know what that means, don't you? You lean toward God, he'll walk toward you. You walk toward God, he said, he'll run to you. You run to God, he'll fly to you. And then he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, you fly to God, church, and he'll hug your neck. Now, I thought, isn't that good? Isn't that good? So God is real. How many of y'all believe that? God is real. Do y'all believe that tonight? God is real. And you know what God wants in your life? God doesn't want you to be defeated and down and discouraged and frustrated and on edge and bothered and depressed. No, no, no. God wants you to have revival. God wants us to be soul winners. God wants our church to be growing. God wants us to have the joy of the Lord. And God says, if you will, I will. So here y'all see that? The simplicity of revival. Do y'all see it? And there's no doubt about it. Here is the possibility. But notice the responsibility of revival. And here's the text. The responsibility of revival. If my people, he says, which are called by my name, shall do what, church? Humble themselves. How many of y'all know that word? Y'all know that word in the balcony? Y'all know that word? You're on the main floor? If my people, he says, want revival, here's what they got to do. They have to start with humility. I have to humble myself. You ever heard this? We say, we, we say things like this about humility. You, you've probably heard this, maybe even said it. You say, uh, somebody says, uh, well, now, if you think you're humble, you're probably not. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? Now, I've heard people say that all my life, but one day it dawned on me, that's not true. Don, I mean, that's not true. Now, somebody's going to wait a minute with the young. I know what we mean by that. What we mean by that is if you think you're humble, you're probably full of pride, and therefore you're not humble. But really, we got to rethink that because you know what the Bible says here? You can't have revival till you humble yourself. So whatever humility is, you ought to have it. You ought to know whether or not you're humble. Is that fair? You ought to know it. The Bible commands me and you to humble ourselves so it's not something mystical. Apparently, God expects me to do it. If I said, if I said you think you're thankful, you're not, say it wouldn't make any sense because you're either thankful or you're not, right? And could I say tonight, you're either humble or you're not. And the Bible says if you're going to have revival, you've got to start with some humility in your life. You've got to humble yourself. You know, you know, you know how many of y'all know about humility? Y'all know this, don't you? Sin can humble us, can't it? 
How many of you ever been humbled by sin? You ever told a lie and got caught in it? Come on, nobody here but us. You ever, you ever told a lie and had to face the music? That's how we'd say it when I was a kid. You told a lie, and boy, you got found out. Has that ever happened to you? Sin can humble you, can it? it? It just, sin is that way. Life can humble you too, can it? You ever been humbled by life? Has that ever happened to you? I have a friend, and, and at one time he was a major league baseball player, and I went and preached a revival in the church he attends, and he said, you want to come over and see my baseball memorabilia? Oh, yeah, I'll come over there and see that, and had me over to his house, showed me all these, you know, newspaper clippings, and so-and-so's baseball, and somebody else's shoes, and somebody else's mid, and all these baseball cards, and autographed baseballs, and after we had looked at all of his, his major league baseball collection, he said, now, let me show you my prize collection, Brother Young. We're getting ready to go up the stairs out of the basement where all of his baseball memorabilia was. And he goes over this counter and he, he, or this cabinet, he opens this glass cabinet. It's got all these rolls of baseballs in there just lined up. And he reaches up and he got one of those autographed baseballs and he brought it down. He said, take a look at this one. And I looked at that. I'm not a real, you know, I, I'm not real up on baseball necessarily. I just like to watch it. I just don't keep track of all the players' names. And so I didn't know if this, you know, I, I know who Babe Ruth is. That's about my extent right there. And so I looked at this baseball. That wasn't Babe Ruth. That said Sam Davison. It's like, well, he's no baseball player. He's a Baptist preacher. And I looked at that, and he said, you see, Brother Young, he said, when, uh, when, when I have a preacher over, and, 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 or when pastor has a preacher in our church, and he's a great preacher, and he's a man of God, and the Lord really uses him in my life and in my heart, I always have him come over and sign one of my baseballs. Now, isn't that the coolest thing in the world? And he turned around, and he picked up a baseball. And it was a blank one, and I was like, you know what? This will preach. And I reached in for my pen. I'm so excited. I've never signed a baseball. He never even looked at me. He reached up there and got one of those blank baseballs, picked up a pen, signed his name on it, turned around and said, now you can give this to one of your boys. <laughs> and I stand there with my pen in my hand, like, just never mind me while I put this pen back in my pocket. That was just a little bit humbling. And a little bit embarrassing. Y'all with me on that? I wouldn't sign one of them now if he paid me. Y'all with me on that? He lost his chance. I'm not doing it now. And that's not very humble, is it? Obviously, I need this sermon. See, life can humble you. Sin can humble you. But what the Bible teaches, church family, is we got to humble ourselves. You know what humility is? It's honesty. Humility is honesty. Humility is when I come to the place that I'm willing to be very honest with God. God, this is what's wrong in my life. This is where I don't measure up. God, this is what I ought to change. Anybody here tonight, anybody here tonight know an area of your life where if you changed something, added something, took something out, improved something, you'd be a better Christian? Anybody here, anybody here aware of an area like that in your life? If I changed that, I'd be a better Christian. If I, if I added that, I'd be a better Christian. If I did more of that, I'd be a better Christian. You know what humility is? Humility is when I say, okay, God, you're right. I need to make some changes. I'm not what I ought to be. How long has it been since you examined your life like that? And and stepped into this verse and humbled yourself enough to get honest with God. Just say, Lord, I, I, I need to change that. Just think about your life. You're battling some addiction. Uh, you, you let something slide that you shouldn't have let slide. You've gotten careless in an area, so you can't have revival till you humble yourself. This is your responsibility. God, I've got to get honest about where I am. How long has it been since you took some time to get honest? Just to say, Lord, this needs to change, and that needs to go, and this ought to be altered, and I really need to work on this area. How, how many of y'all know our tendency? We're, I mean, we're, we're independent Baptists, aren't we? 
And, and, and so we're right, aren't we? Because if we weren't right, we would change, wouldn't we? But we never change, do we? Because we're right, aren't we? And, and, and it's kind of a vicious circle there. Because after all, you can think, well, you know what? We're right. We're good. We're good. We're good. But when's the last time you just got real honest and said, Lord, how about me? How, about, how am I doing? Lord, am I having devotions every day? Am I in your word? Do I meditate? Lord, do we have a family altar? Lord, Lord, are we trying to get our children to know you through our family altar? Lord, is your word a part of our lives? You've got to get honest. You've got to get honest to have revival. You've got to get honest. Lord, I need to change that. I need to improve that. I need to work on that. Lord, I'm not a soul winner. God, I'm not a soul winner. I need to, God, I need, you've got to get honest if you're going to have revival. Do you see the responsibility? It's humility. Y'all with me on this or not? Y'all with me on this? You got to, the Bible says, humble yourself. Now, you know why humility is so important? Because James says, if you humble yourself, you get the grace of God in your life. I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God, and I want the grace of God, and I, I got to have the grace of God, or I can't be the Christian I ought to be. How many of y'all with me on that, aren't you? So we got to get humble. This is our responsibility. He says, if my people, well, that's me. I'm a Christian. I'm called by his name, shall humble themselves, and watch this one. What's the next step? Here's my responsibility. I got to pray. Now, how simple is that? Oh, Lord, you got to get to God. How many of y'all know this? It's not enough just to want it. It's not enough just to talk about it. It's not enough just to hear about it. It's not enough to just acknowledge it. I, I got to get to the presence of God about it. I've got to say, oh, Lord, I need help. God, I need you. You got to work in my life, Lord. Like I preached this morning, Paul's desire and prayer to God for Israel was that he might be saved. Aren't you glad that Paul didn't just stop with desire, but he prayed about it, but he put those together. God, I got to know what's right. I got to know where I am. I got to know what I need to work on. Help me, Lord. I got to know what I need to improve. Help me, God. That's humility, but I got to pray about it. Help, Lord, help. You got to pray about it. You just got to get to God about it. Get to God about every area of your life. Pray about something this week and have an area of revival in your life. Every member of this church, pray about something. Teenagers, pray about something. Boys and girls, pray about something. Mom and dad, pray about something because God wants you to have revival. Humble yourself and pray. Talk to God about it. As in a revival in Michigan. And it's been some years ago, a revival in Michigan. And there was a family in the church, and you didn't get around them very long without knowing what a mess, what a mess. They were in church every service, but what a mess. She didn't like him, and he didn't like her, and, and they just were, they were just at each other. The kids weren't, what a mess it was. And, and you know what happened in that revival? On, on the, I think it's maybe the Thursday night of a week-long revival, she came in, and, and she had tears in her eyes. The wife did, and the mom, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Brother Young, she said, God is doing something in our family. I said, oh, yeah? And she said, yeah. She said, something happened last night that I've never seen happen in our home. And I said, well, what in the world? What, what happened? And she said, you know, we've just had all kinds of problems. We just, we're, we're in church. We're, we don't miss a service, but things aren't what they ought to be, and we all know it, and people here in the church probably know it. But she said, last night we got home, and God was working in our hearts. And she said, my husband said to the family, y'all go on to bed. Just go on to bed. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And she said he got, got his shoes on and left. But he didn't get in the car, and the car didn't leave. He just walked out. I knew he didn't leave in the car because the car's still there. And she said, I the kids all got to bed, and we all put the kids in bed. And she said, I didn't know what to do. I said, trouble. Where's my, what's going on? My husband, is he leaving? Is what's going on? And she said, so finally I couldn't handle it. And so I thought I'll go outside and check on him. And she said, I opened the door into the garage. And she said, you know what my husband was doing last night? He was in the garage on his knees. He was, he was praying. And here's what she said to me. She said, he stayed there all night.
Stayed there all night. How many of y'all agree with me? If you're willing to pray all night, you're getting serious about God doing something in your life, aren't you? Now, the Bible doesn't command us to pray all night. Aren't you glad you don't have to pray all night to have revival? But if that's what it takes, pray all night this week. That's what it takes. Spend an hour in prayer if that's what it takes. Because here's what the Bible says. You want to have revival, brothers and sisters? Here's what the Bible says. You've got to humble yourself and pray. And, and, and what does he mean here? He says, number three, you've got to seek my face. What's he mean by that? That's a truth you'll find all over the Bible. The Bible says things like this. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. It's a Bible way of saying get to know God and look to him and try to please him. The Bible says if you seek him, he will be found of you. The Bible says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Seeking him is a great truth. It's a great truth in the Bible. You'll find it all over the Bible. Go home and look it up in a concordance. All over the Bible, we're invited to seek God, seek God, seek God, seek God. The idea of it is, is, is get to know God. It has so many facets to it. You ever seen a, you ever seen a kid around a, a mom or dad, and you ask them a question, and they look at their daddy? You ask them a question, they look at their daddy. Well, they're, they're seeking his face. You ever seen that? You, you've seen that, haven't you? And what, well, daddy, daddy, how do I answer that, Daddy. Or you ever seen a kid, and he's, he's we'd say, I don't know if this is even the right word necessarily, we'd say maybe he's showing off a little bit, but he wants to impress his daddy. You ever seen that happen? And what's he doing? He looks at daddy's face. He's going to try to, he's going to try to hit that three-point shot, and if he hits it, well, he looks at daddy. What do you think, what do you think about that? You see the seeking the face. This is a practical way, isn't it? Y'all believe God is real? And y'all believe God cares? And y'all believe God hears and knows about us? Y'all believe that? So seeking God's face is saying, Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing, God? Lord, Lord, how am I doing? God, how am I doing? Jesus, how am I doing? I'm seeking his face. Isn't that beautiful? I, I've, got, I've got to humble myself. Oh, Lord, I need help. Help, Lord, I know where I am. God, I know how to work on this or change that. Or God, I know that's humility. But prayer, oh, Lord, help me. I'm praying about it. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm praying about it. And then I seek his face. I'm trying to get as close to God as possible. How long has it been since you were really close to the Lord? Mosey Lister, y'all know that name? He was a southern songwriter, and Mosey Lister wrote an old song entitled with those words, and he said, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secret? How long has it been since you were close to God? I mean, really, Daddy, just really felt the presence of God in your life and had the joy of the Lord. And you were pleasing to God. You really just walked with God, and he was real in your life. How many of y'all know that life can disappoint you? How many of y'all know that? How many of y'all know that? How many of y'all know there are problems in life? How many of y'all know that? But how many of y'all know this? When you run to God, and you look to God, and you try to get close to him and please him, even in the valleys and problems and tragedies of life, how many of y'all know that God will get real close to you and love all over you and walk with you and be near to you and bless you and use you and meet your needs? How many of y'all know God is that good? Y'all know that? And see, here's what he's saying to you tonight. He said, I want you to have revival. My, you're my child, and I love you. You're mine. You're mine. You belong to me. You're mine. And if you'll just humble yourself and pray and seek my face, think, think about that. Get so close to God that, that you just sense his direction in your life and his presence. I was raised on a farm, and, and I love farming. I love horses, and I had a horse myself. And 
I always loved people that could really train a horse would get so close to their horse, they could get on a horse's back in a horse show, and, and, and really you couldn't even see them direct that horse. That horse and that rider would be so in tune, and the horse was so in tune with the rider that, that the rider could tell that horse to go to the left, and you wouldn't even know how he did it. Next thing you know, the horse is just, just sensing that rider wants to go to the left, and he goes that way. And just a slight pivot of the leg or the body, just you can't even really see it really much if you don't know what you're looking for. Next thing you know, that horse is going to the right. And just a little leaning back, and that horse has come to a stop. Years ago, I, I was at a, at a camp with a bunch of, of junior-age boys and girls, and they brought a horse out into arena, and they were doing a, an illustration for the boys and girls, and the guy, he's, he's, order, he's given orders to this horse, and that horse is so in tune with that rider, he doesn't have a saddle, he doesn't have a halter, he doesn't have even reins, he's just on that horse, and he said, uh, giddy up, and boy, that horse took off, and, and, and they were running right for a gate, I mean, the gate was closed, and they're about to run into that gate, and the rider just very calmly said, whoa, and that horse came to a dead stop on a dime. And, and the rider just, I mean, put that horse, he jumped things and went in circles and backed up and sat down and did all kinds of things. And after he did all of these illustrations, he said to the boys and girls there, he said, and I got to tell you something about my horse. He said, my horse was born blind. My horse has never seen anything in its life. That horse is as blind as blind can be, he has no sight. But I've loved on that horse and trained that horse, and that horse listens to my voice. That, that horse senses my voice and my desire and my heart, and that horse does everything I tell it to do because that horse and I are that close. And you know what I thought? What an illustration for me and you. I want to have revival because I want to be so close to God that if I'm in Walmart and the Lord says, see that guy right there, you don't know this, but he wants to be saved. He's been thinking about it. Nobody's ever told him. He needs somebody to talk to him. I want to be so close to God. If God just says, talk to that guy right there beside of those bananas, I just want to know that's what God wants, and I want to be that close. I just go do it. And if the Lord says, you know, so-and-so needs encouragement, you ought to call them. I want to be so close to the Lord. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm on the phone. I'm calling so-and-so because you said so. Do you see the point of this, seek my face? How long has it been since you were that close to God, that he was that real to you? You knew his voice, and you sensed his presence, and you were walking with him just in an incredible way. And watch the last thing he says there. He says, turn from their wicked ways. Let's go home now. Turn from their wicked ways. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because we're in church on a Sunday night, and obviously we're good people or we wouldn't be here. Is that fair? We're in church on a Sunday night, and obviously we're good people or we wouldn't be here. And yet the message is, if I'm going to have revival, I've got to humble myself, then pray, seek his face, and turn from my wicked ways. Church family, how long has it been since you examined your life like that and said, Lord, is there anything in my life that really is just, just nothing but wicked? That just ought not to be there. The way I talk or what I watch or what I listen to, God, I need to make some major changes because that's not even right. What's the promise of God if I'll do it? What's the promise of God if I'll do it? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive your sin. Is that not shouting ground? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what I want? Isn't that why we're having revival? So let's just, let's just seek the Lord tonight. Let's just, let's just get honest about an area of our life. Let's get on our knees and pray about something tonight. Let's, let's say, God, if this is wrong, I want to make it right. Let's just, let's just have that kind of revival and get all in for God in a fresh and new way with the joy of the Lord and the peace of God and the love of God. And let's be soul winners again. And let's be on fire for God again. Let's be happy Christians again. Because brothers and sisters, if you will, he will.
And can I tell you one more thing? If you don't know you're going to heaven, can I just tell you some other good news? If you don't know you're going to heaven and you don't know about Christianity and you don't know God, can I tell you tonight there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Jesus Christ. He's the only way you can be saved. He died for the sins of the whole world. I'm glad to tell you that. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead so you would know his deity and know that his offer of eternal life is real. And I'm glad to tell you tonight, anybody... Anybody, and I mean anybody, anybody, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter whether you know a lot about the Bible or nothing at all about the Bible, the God of heaven wants to forgive your sins and give you everlasting life, and if you'll turn to Jesus, he'll do it. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll do it. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll do it. Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to forgive your sins. Jesus is the only one who can, and if you will, he will. Isn't that shouting ground? He's the one that does all the saving. He's the one that brings you. Salvation is of the Lord. And God is, I know all of that, but God did it all. God, Jesus did it all. And if you'll turn to Jesus, believe on Jesus, trust in Jesus, he'll save you. Now, if I had a revival tonight, what would you pray? Or if I had an invitation tonight, what would you pray about? If we just pause tonight and had an invitation for a few moments, how honest would you be with God? How close would you try to get to God tonight if I had an invitation right now? And who in this service would get saved if I had an invitation? You know down in the depths of your soul there's one God and he's been talking to you. You know it. You know it. There's no doubt you know it. You've got a conscience. Every time you look up in the sky, you know there's a God. If I had an invitation tonight and invited you to Jesus, would you get saved tonight? Would you turn to Jesus? Would you let us lead you to Christ? Would you call on Jesus? Would you come to Christ in such a way that you could leave this building tonight a part of God's family on your way to heaven with your sins forgiven and having everlasting spiritual life and absolutely know it based on the authority of God's word? Would you do it tonight if I gave an invitation? I'm going to give an invitation. I hope you will. If you'll, if you'll see God, you can have revival. If you want to be saved, you can have it tonight. Isn't that shouting ground church family? Aren't you happy about that?